lots and lots of spoilers. Welcome, my fellow citizens, to Max Mike Movies and our continuing series, Semi-Real People, the Biopic Movies. <clears throat> this week, we're discussing a very recent work, 2020's Mank, the story behind that hack writer Herman Mankiewicz's screenplay of the movie Citizen Kane, uh, that well-known slanderous Max. hatchet job Ma who did Max. on one of the greatest men Max. of the 20th century. Max! A hang on, as you know, I'm referring <laughs> but, to William Randolph Hearst, but, who was so terribly but, and unjustly savaged but, in that B-movie by that ungrateful wretch Orson Welles, an unwatchable movie Max! that I am sure... <gasps> shut up, shut up, shut up! How could you, you have say any that idea how powerful the Hearst organization still is? They could crush us like bugs. Like bugs! <laughs> I've already gotten threatening letters. They're watching the house. Max, you have you know they have ways of monitoring all forms of media to determine if anyone anywhere is saying anything about William Randolph Hearst. They don't care how few listeners we Max. have. They'll destroy us! I can't go back to prison, Mike. I won't last! Max. I won't! <laughs> Max, you got everything wrong, and you've Ooh. never been to prison. Well, I was in Wisconsin once. <laughs> Doesn't that count? We'd like to apologize to all cheeseheads everywhere uh. for Max's little slip about Wisconsin uh. being a prison. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, <clears throat> assuming that the black van outside is not actually from the Hearst Group... It says we UPS are on it, Max. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And it's brown. Uh, hi, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are discussing 2020's Mank, the movie about the creation, or the screenplay anyway, of Citizen Kane by legendary Hollywood writer Herman Mankiewicz. I am your paranoid host, Max Foster Levine. What's behind and you? And over there in his puffy director's pants is Cecil B. DeMike Luce. Uh, we need another take, yeah? DeMille wasn't German. I know, but you said... <laughs> oh, that's true. The puffy pants guy, that was, um, uh, oh God, von Stroheim, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought you were talking about. Ah, okay. But the, and the joke thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no bumpy bucks for me. Yeah, yeah. So Mank, so, uh, but Mank. I'm betting but that we have something else first. We do. We have our poll question. Ooh, our poll question. question. Yes, that can let you just rake in the bumpy bucks. Ooh, rake them in, rake them in. Rake them in. Uh, this week, sometimes a movie character, a movie, this may come as a great shock to people who have been swallowed by the illusion, a movie series recasts a major character. Oh, yes, this is true. Every so often in the middle of a series of movies or in a, not a remake, we're not counting remakes, and we're not counting James Bond, because, you know, that pretty much happens all the time. But how, but often a character is recast for various reasons. Is there any example where it's worked really well for you, or that it's been a complete failure? <clears throat> Val Kilmer is Batman. <laughs> yeah, not George Clooney, because that was great. Well, yeah, but the Val Kilmer was the first, but... Uh, of the embarrassing ones, I think. Um, yeah, so I'd just like to point something out, if I may. Sure. Usually we like to talk about last week's poll question first, and then we get to... Well, I'm a rebel, and I'll never be any any good. 
I am rescinding all your bumpy bucks. You will no longer receive your free bumpy hut catalog with Aww. which you can spe spend your Aww. bumpy bucks. But I was only 50,000 bumpy bucks away from the smoking jacket. <laughs> bumpy hut. It's a thing. <laughs> so well, what is this? What is last week's poll question? And what cool, amazing answers from our cool, amazing listeners did we get? We did. We got some very interesting uh, responses. Last week, the basic sum up is, should directors be allowed to go back and change their movies? After they're released, should there be a director's cut? Should there be a Snyder cut? Should no. should Greedo shoot first or Hand shut shoot first? No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we got a few answers. One from uh, one of our more genetically related uh, listeners, Val. Never heard of it. Yep. She basically <laughs> says flat out, no. They have the. Yep. So there you have it. No. That's no, a. They had the chance to do it their way the first time. Now, if a different director wanted to have a shot at a movie, I'd say maybe, depending on who and which movie. Like, it might be interesting to see what Baz Luhrmann could do with A New Hope. <laughs> I would pay to see that. I, I would, would see Baz Luhrmann's Star Wars A New Hope. I would totally go see that. Totally yep. go see that. Although, wait, did he have anything to do with cats? <laughs> no. Okay, no, good. Did not. Well, that's a point in his favor, isn't it? He was sensible enough to keep us several continents away from that stink burger. Okay. Yeah. Uh, our international contingent, Vince, says, as a, as a thought experiment, I think creators can do whatever they want with their creations, including change and update parts later on. The original Star Trek series remastered with news effects is awesome. They did it right. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, I like the director's cut of Blade Runner, especially without the horrible narration. I can see Lucas wanting to update effects in the original Star Wars, but he went so much further than that and added so much stuff that just added nothing and takes away from a great film just because he could. So, theoretically, not off the table for me, but it seems like a bad idea in most cases. And if they do it, the original should still be available somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, George was real good about that. And from, from our legal contingent, Dave, Dave, as he puts, specifically, for the bumpy bucks, <laughs> I've never had much patience with director's cuts. They seem like a gimmick to sell DVDs. That said, Blade Runner is the obvious exception. I was also happy with the idea that Peter Jackson added more scenes to The Lord of the Rings, but I never watched in general. Uh, in general, no point to redoing a film. Okay. <laughs> so I'd say, and uh, it seems to, that our listeners would... For the most part, say no. Yeah, it seems to be that uh, most most of them are not in favor of the director's cut or the director redoing the film. How, how do you feel about it? Well, uh, I have to point something out real quick. When they say uh, the two people, I think this case it was uh, Vince and Dave, uh, that they don't mind the director's cut of Blade Runner. We are talking about the 1991, not really a director's cut of Blade Runner, not the final cut, which was a director's cut, because that one has the narration in it, and it is, in uh. fact, wrong. Ah, um, I don't go for it. I'm kind of with my sister. It's like with Star Trek, Star Trek was a really interesting case because literally all they did was go in and try to spruce it up because the original effects on TOS, quite honestly, are terrible. They yeah. weren't great then and they really look terrible now. And what they tried to do is they tried to go, let's, what are the shots they were going for? What was the idea they were going for? We'll just replace that, you know? And in some cases, they couldn't even replace. So there's some phaser shots and stuff between characters that are still the way they were. Um, but they would do things like they would add atmosphere to the planets. So the sets looked a little bit less like sets. Um, on uh, the episode um, Amok Time, we get a shot, a faraway shot 
of the rest of Vulcan with some characters walking towards that little area they go to, which, again, doesn't... All it does is try to make things feel a little bit more real. Hmm. That's it. Lucas, uh, I'm going to change everything. And we we leave out Spielberg. He did the same thing with uh, Close Encounters. All those Mm. bad FBI guys who are having uh, running around with all their guns were suddenly flashlights. Oh, that's E.T. Okay, that's right. Suddenly flashlights because government or walkie-talkies. Yes. Yeah. Too scary to have guns. Yeah, not uh, like government government agents ever carry guns. Yeah, and I didn't watch the well, I didn't watch the original cut of Justice League because I heard nothing good about it. And hey, that's what I heard about the the Snyder cut. And I just eh. no, because it's like if if that's when things that's when you start changing things, and you can't trust anything that you saw, especially if there's going to be a series. Once you start backpedaling and going well. It is true from a certain point of view. <laughs> That's BS, and I don't buy it. How about you? Yeah. Um, I don't like the idea of it, but not for that kind of reason or the quality. It's I don't like the idea that the director is the only one who gets to decide that. I don't buy the idea that the director is the only one who owns the film, who creates the film. What about the writer? What about the lead actors? What about hell? What about the cinematographers or the sound guy? The, the people who write the score. I think if they all got together and said we want to redo this, maybe, but I don't like the idea that the director just decides this is entirely my creation and I will alter it any way I see fit because it isn't. Well, now, just out of curiosity, was your opinion at all colored by this week's movie, perchance? No, not at all. Oh, okay. It's just an interesting parallel. No, no, the, the, I, I get that, but no, it, it does... I don't like the idea of the director as monolith. He isn't. The director isn't the god of the movie. He does a great deal. He puts his own, per- or she puts their own stamp on it. But they aren't, it's not a, uh, the, the sole creation. I, you know, Eric von Stroheim can kiss my ass when he was like, <laughs> the movie is mine! <laughs> I mean, you know, he's no Otto Preminger who shows up <laughs> as Mr. Freeze, but then again, he is. <laughs> Hey, Otto, Otto Preminger gets a lot of points for being a Batman villain. I'm sorry. <laughs> so does Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> oh, Tallulah Bankhead is is a goddess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like uh, in general we uh, don't care for the we get to go yep. back and keep fixing it routine. So you hear that, Hollywood? Stop it. Yeah. There. We fixed it. Yeah. And if you're going to do it, we need to have the original version available. And we would like a decent print thank you, not one that yeah. was made literally on a Super 8 camera in somebody's garage. George Lucas, I'm looking at you. Because um, the, the re-release of the original theatrical version of A New Hope, which it wasn't called at that point, uh, is literally one of the worst prints I've ever seen put to DVD. Mm. <laughs> and I include wow. science crazed in that. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, people can contact us with their answers for this week's poll question. We'll go yep. over that at the end of the uh show as usual yep. but uh, max is yeah. there possibly could there be any trivia at all about mank could be Ooh. but first i'd like to list all of the wonderful humanitarian deeds done by by uh, william randolph hearst in his lifetime <sighs> there i'm done now <laughs> sorry that's that's not entirely fair but we'll get to that yeah okay. i have a story no trivia show uh the budget for this movie was 25 million Mm. the box office is kind of hard to determine because it was only released you know this was during the pandemic 
So it was released in about five theaters. But if you count, I think in terms of views or some such, they're estimating the take of about 122 million. 50 billion knock bucks yep. to Griffin Puff! Griffin yep. Puff wins! <laughs> yeah, pretty much making it up at this point. Yeah. It, uh, it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, which, by the way, Citizen Kane was nominated for nine. Oh, burn. And Citizen Kane only won one, whereas Mank won two. Burn! Of course, they won for production design and cinematography. Ah. Yeah, not which, let's face it, nobody cares. Uh, oh. It was nominated for Best Picture and Best Actress, Actor and uh, Best Supporting Actress for uh, Amanda Seyfried. But it just, it won those two. Hmm. Uh, Gary Oldman wanted to wear this elaborate prosthetic makeup to look more, more accurately like Herman Mankiewicz because Gary Oldman looks nothing like <laughs> Herman Mankiewicz if you ever see any of the pictures. I mean, you're, you're not really going to look at Gary Oldman and go, huh, Jewish fella? <laughs> but actually, the director, David Fincher, persuaded him that they wanted to, not to because he wanted to use minimal makeup to get more intimate, an intimate performance. It's hard to do a lot of close-ups when you're wearing a lot of prosthetics. They tend to be pretty obvious. Uh, I think he, they did just fine in the yeah. um, mm -hmm. the Churchill film. That was yeah. That's a point. That's a point. The script was written by David Fincher's late father, Jack Fincher. Uh, this this was filmed, by the way, on this fancy 8K cameras. No color version of this film exists. This film was just shot in black and white. Hmm. Jack Fincher is, uh, I mean, sorry, David, David Fincher is um, an interesting director. He's, um, <clears throat> well, let's say he's had kind of a mixed career. Oh, I'm actually a big fan of some of his earlier work. Oh, some of, I mean, he, hell, he did Fight Club. Oh, no, earlier than that. Seven, he did that. I'm particularly and, uh, thrilled with his uh, music videos for oh, Rick he Springfield. Did, <laughs> yes, he did that. He started out as a music video director. He did it for all like Aerosmith and Rick Springfield. But yeah, he did Seven. He did the uh, Fight Club. He, he directed the Social Network, which yep. we talked about. Yeah. He did other biopics like uh, Zodiac. He is a working class dog. That one's for <laughs> my sister. That's a deep ah. <laughs> Uh, he also did The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and yeah. Alien 3. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> yeah, like I say, they can't all be great. I think that's the one we generally refer to as Aliens is, right? Yes. The first yep. Aliens is. Aliens is. <laughs> uh, there's a scene in uh, Mank where Mank is visiting Irving Thalberg, and uh, Thalberg alerts his secretary to never allow the Marx Brothers in his office again. <laughs> This was this was based on a lot of this movie. By the way, we'll get to this. Is pretty accurate. Some of it isn't, but a lot. This is based on the fact that uh, Thalberg would meet with the Marx Brothers a lot because they were, you know, they worked for um, MGM, and uh, he used to really piss them off because he would postpone meetings or just leave early in the middle of one. So in retaliation, one day Thalberg came back uh, to, uh, for a meeting with them, and he found them. In his secretary's office, stark naked, roasting potatoes by the fireplace. <laughs> this is also this is why he says the office smells like summer. Ah, uh. yeah. Uh, that sequence where Mank is passing out, dropping a bottle of liquor from his hand, and it falls to the floor and rolls. That is a very direct cinematographic—I cinemat cinemat don't know—nod <laughs> to the snow globe opening scene from Citizen Kane. Mm. He eventually, you know, Mank did, by the way, 
was a, it was a regular at San Simeon, the stately home of Charles Foster William Randolph Hearst. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was eventually banned, not because of his political rants. By the way, that entire, which we'll talk about later, that whole rant he goes on at the end of the film, the mm-hmm. Don Quixote speech, completely made up. Mm-hmm. That never happened. But apparently he used to encourage Mary and Davies to drink. So Hearst didn't want him around. I kind of got the impression that he encouraged, oh, everyone to drink. Yeah, yeah. Marion Davies, by the way, was a major film star from about 1917 to 1937 and was ranked the number one female box office star in 1923. Theater owners called her the queen of the screen. She was a write-in candidate for Best Actress in a, for the Oscar in 1934 for Peg O' My Heart, which I'm sure you remember. Oh, yeah, uh, that one's the one with the peg and the heart in it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> of course, that year there were only three nominees in that category. Ah. She ranked as one of MGM's most popular stars for the ten years she was with that studio. She also claims in her memoir to have never seen Citizen Kane. Well, she didn't have to. She read the script. Uh, yeah. Uh, for for our listeners, Marion Davies, who was, was William Randolph Hearst's main squeeze who was about 300 years younger than he was, <laughs> is a le- people have always assumed that whatever her name is in Citizen Kane, which I've honestly forgotten, yeah. Charles Foster Kane's girlfriend, the showgirl, was based on her. Mankiewicz has always insisted it was not based on her, but based on people's idea of her. Mm, which makes sense, because if you've seen Citizen Kane, and if this film is depicting Marion Davies anything close to realistic, they're blonde. That's yeah, about that's as about far it. as I'd go. They're blonde and they're from Brooklyn, although Marion Davies allegedly had no trace of a Brooklyn accent. Not anymore. She worked really hard to erase it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oddly, the other thing is the ages in this. Marion Davies was actually almost a year older than Herman Mankiewicz. Oh. Uh, but uh, Amanda Seyfried is 27 years younger than Gary Oldman. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, G- Gary Oldman is 62 in this movie, and he's trying to play 43. Yeah, he's well-named, I should should point out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The score is by Trent Reznor of yeah. Nine Inch Nails and Atticus <laughs> Ross. It's very different from anything they had ever done before. It's not electronic at all. No. It's using period authentic instruments and sounds. It's very jazzy, sort of 30s and 40s cinematic. Right from the start, Reznor said it was a whole new set of challenges for them. Yeah, more likely than not, he did what he usually did, which was, well, I've done this, now I need to go make a Nine Inch Nails album to get this out of my system. Yeah, wow, probably. Wow, so Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch. Wow, that's... Uh... Atticus Ross! Huh? <laughs> Atticus Ross, not, oh. not the guy from To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> that's just a reference. Yep. It won't hurt. It, yeah, there's a bunch of other there's a bunch of other stuff. There's there was a lot of uh, stuff behind the screens, but that's pretty much that's the the that's the gist of it. Hey Max, would you do me a favor? Yeah. Would you recount the plot for me? Tell me a story, Max. <laughs> no. Oh come I don't, on! Don't wanna. You, you've only done it 142 <laughs> times before this. <laughs> I actually the sum up is very short. It's, it tells the story of the struggles of a legendary Hollywood screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz together with Orson Welles, to an extent, writing the classic, the screenplay for the classic film Citizen Kane. We see Mank struggle with his drinking, his recklessness, his compulsive gambling, and his own growing cynicism, all the while crafting one of the greatest stories ever put on screen. 
We also see his friendship with uh, various other screenwriters and his growing closeness with Marion Davies and his deepening hatred for the publishing magnate William Randolph Hearst, a man so mean he once shot a man for snoring. <laughs> the look and feel of real hand-tooled saddle leather. <laughs> Is that the end of your... Um, That's it. That's all I got. Well, then I guess we should uh, talk about this here film starting... Yep. Now. The Lowdown. First off, I do want to point... I do want to say one thing. Uh, we, we, Mankiewicz is also... It, this, it is accurate. Mankiewicz wrote this screenplay while his leg, after being in a terrible car accident, his leg was basically shattered. Yikes. And he he had to he was in a half body cast. He had to have the leg suspended. Oddly enough, despite all of his drinking, the, the accident was not his fault. He wasn't <laughs> driving the car. No. Oh, I forget but, who it was supposed to be. Some kid with a love letter, at least in this. Yeah, film, I, I don't think it matters. No. Yeah. They weren't. But born. yes, he's tended by a a German nurse, Frau Blucher, and uh, an English woman, who is played by by Lily Collins's eyebrows. Sorry, Lily Collins may be a competent actor, but I can't help. I can never quite forgive her for Snow. One of that's the Snow White movies she made, oh. where she was sort of challenging Kristen Stewart for least facial expressions in any movie. Line. Yeah, pretty much. Line. <laughs> I, I also I gotta say his wife, Mank, uh, Mankiewicz's wife, uh, Sarah, or poor Sarah, as. He introdu- she's often introduced. By the way, that was true. Pe- he used to make jokes about that, that uh, people always referred to his wife as poor Sarah being married to that Herman Mankiewicz. Oh, okay. She has played... I, I honestly, I want to marry this woman because of her name. She has the most English name, the most wonderfully English name I have ever heard. Her name is Tuppence Middleton. <laughs> How cool is that? Tuppence uh, Middleton. Oh. I mean it, it, I want to be named Tuppence Middleton. <laughs> Treacle tarts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that is so that is so English you can hear the 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 bangers and mash and Ooh, I love bangers can, and mash. God save the queen playing in the background. Yeah. Um let's talk a little bit you're bringing up actors. Let's talk a little bit about the performances. I mean, uh, surprise, I adore Gary Oldman. Oh, Gary Oldman can do anything. And I would just like to say, seeing him without makeup was really weird. Like, I get so used to seeing him in some kind of mm. appliance or some, like, you know, crazy hairstyle plastic on his head <laughs> or something weird. Yep. Or he's a white peacock. Yep, and yep. seeing just Gary was just, it was a little weird. And I'm like, wait, we're, what, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, your first thought is, my God, what did they do to him? Oh, nothing. He's, that's you know, really him. Eight. Well, especially because a couple of weeks ago, we were watching him as Sid Vicious. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, wait, that guy and this guy are the same guy. Yeah, they yeah, are. yeah. Although they both drink the same. Um, I will say, I honestly think that he's too old to play the part, which mm. is weird because he is beyond capable You've got to, his voice is totally different. Like this is a, not yep. a voice I have heard out of Gary Oldman before. I don't know nope. what he did, but I, I, totally different. And he is able to sling that verbal hash, like if any of that, like if that's how Mank actually talked, 
And are there just are, are there any people like that anymore? I don't think there. I are. don't think so. no. He it's the same. Dalton Trumbo was the same way. He had a, they had very similar speech intonations. If you ever listen to the recordings, they sound very similar. I don't know if it's because they all took the same kind of elocution classes, like you told me once. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of the women from the 30s and 40s movies, they, they had that sort of Catherine Hepburn rapid style speaking because that's how they were taught to speak. It was the mid-Atlantic accent. It was taught Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, it was My it. mother was taught that accent. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, do they have any connection with the Algonquin Roundtable, Dorothy Parker, that whole group? Because, dear uh, God, does not, doesn't he feel like one of those people? He does, but no. That was a very specific group in, I believe, upstate New York. And uh, I don't Benchley think... Ma- was one. Yep, Robert Benchley was there. Um, oh boy, those are the only Dorothy two Parker. Yeah. yeah, Dorothy Parker, Dor- Robert Benchley. Oh, I used to know a whole bunch of them. Very erudite and incredibly sharp group of people. And I yeah. don't mean that just in that they were smart. I mean, like, I don't even think you could approach them and say hello and not get something stinging back at you. No, they would absolutely. Ri- they would rip anybody apart. Allegedly, at the Algonquin. No waiter ever wanted to work to wait on them. Yeah. First off, that round table was only supposed to sit like four or five people, and they'd fit like twelve. Yeah. And it always it just infuriated the people there, and people were terrified of them. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you would, but. Well, and it's part of that. I will say of there are parts in the film. I I used uh, earbuds to to listen to this film. I actually wasn't st- starting to do so, but Manx. Like his back talk and his amazing stream of language, I had to put earbuds in because I literally couldn't understand it. It was just he like, talked wait, very what? fast. But by, by the way, just uh, if to, to go back to that, in a way there is a connection. Uh, oh. One of the uh, roundtable I forgot this was George S. Kaufman, okay. who is one of the writers we see at the table, and also I mean Harpo Marx. He showed up. He was sort of a peripheral member. Tallulah Bankhead, no oh, coward. Yeah. Yeah, Harpo always had really intelligent things to say, like, ha, 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 you know. Uh, <laughs> Off-screen, off he was incredibly eloquent and incredibly erudite. Yeah, sure, uh, and the reason they keep too. <laughs> the, the reason they keep bringing up the Marx Brothers is one of uh, Mankiewicz's most successful projects is he was the producer for three of the most successful and probably, I would say, the best of the Marx Brothers movies. Let me see if I can Horse. guess. Wait, wait, don't yep. tell me. Okay. I'm going to guess Duck Soup. Yep. Uh, Night at the Opera. Nope. Oh, um... Uh, that now exhausts all the names of <laughs> Marx Brothers movies I know. Hooray for Captain Spaulding, the African Explorer. I don't remember what that was called. Oh, Monkey Business okay. and Horse Feathers. Oh, Coconuts is the other one I know. No, no, Horse Feathers. Yeah. No, 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 but Coconuts yeah, is the oh, other title I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Horse Feathers, like Bumpy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, because Mankiewicz is a name that's like, I've heard it, but I didn't know anything about him. He didn't do all that many uh, screenplays. They were right. After a Citizen Kane... Basically, um, Hearst crushed him, mm. and he had alienated so many people that he uh, he did do a very fa- he he was not credited, I don't believe, but he did Pride of the Yankees, and they did you know how they talk about that play he wrote, The Wild Man of Borneo, uh-huh. that made that into a movie. Huh. Well, there's also the, there's also the bit where apparently for whatever reason, when he joined the Mercury Theater Players, he signed away his ability to get credit on his scripts. Yeah. And supposedly, while working for Orson, this he said, "Well, that still counts with this movie you're going to do." Um, yeah, boy, I love the opening of the film where it's like, "Yes, they've given Orson Welles carte blanche." Oh, are you going to regret that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they did. Although Citizen Kane made him a lot of money, not initially. But, uh, all- 
uh, also there's a little in joke um, where he's saying, "Oh God, Wizard of Oz is going to sink that that uh, <laughs> studio." Mankiewicz was an uncredited writer on Wizard of Oz. That film, so we're not going to go into this, but that film had three directors. I don't know how many writers. That movie was a mess. Yeah. Um, And we have some friends that are uh, real Oz fanatics, and they would be able to tell these stories better than I can. But basically, I forget who was actually finally, was it Victor Fleming was finally listed as the director? I think so. But he came in like he was like the last minute, and it's like... That film was crazy, um, getting that thing done. There were so many issues. And, you know, the uh, poor woman who played the witch got burned badly and, you know, had to come Buddy back. Buddy Epson later. almost died from the, the uh, Tin Man makeup. Yeah, it was just, a, it was nuts. Uh, three, I mean, three directors in 1939, that's, <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, yeah, hold a whole bunch of crap with that. But yeah, Mank is like, I mean, to be fair, Dalton Trumbo was not a name that I had really heard. And when I saw that film, if you haven't seen the film, I think it's just called Trumbo. It stars Brian yeah. Cranston, who does a very good job, especially if you're used to seeing him as the dad in Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> or, or on Breaking Bad, yeah. Right. His, it's like, it's, again, the, the guy's showing he's way more than a sitcom actor. Um, and of course, he's now proven that very well. But Trumbo, if you like old golden age Hollywood stuff. Uh, Trumbo was one of the actors that was blacklisted uh, because of the stupid yeah. house on American committee. And that was a really good film. I liked that film too. Um, so you can check that out, but yeah, Orson Welles being given current blanche. I think the guy who plays Orson Welles, all things considered does a pretty decent job. I think he does a really good job, especially if you ever see some of the footage of Welles as a young man, he was very good looking, very dynamic. And he had a foul, temper yeah he would just go off he had real rage issues the guy that i'd never heard of this guy uh what was it bobby first i think okay uh, he, he does a really good job i gotta say one of my favorite castings in this is charles dance as uh william randolph hearst you know oh. that's tywin friggin <laughs> lannister <laughs> as char as hearst and he first of all it's like wait what happened to your accent yeah. This man, he nails the American accent. Which is and not usually the case. Yeah, yeah, but he does a great job. And he's not even on screen that much. No. But he gets that same kind of low-level crazy that Hearst gave off, that yeah. scare, that menace. Because Hearst was apparently, he could be really nice, and he could be really terrifying. William Randolph Hearst, I'm sorry, we got to talk a little bit about him. I'm not going to do yep. too much, because that's a... entire series in itself we talk about media power nowadays we talk about Sumner Redstone we talk about Ted Turner or even Roger Ailes (laughs) Uh, and uh, sorry I can't help gloating a little or Rupert Murdoch yeah Rupert Murdoch they were they were friggin children compared to William Randolph Hearst William Randolph Hearst controlled the media we don't think of it much because it was before television but he he was master of the radio he controlled an enormous amount of print media this is the guy who sent someone down to report on the spanish-american war the guy said to him there's no war what are you talking about he said get down there i'll manufacture the war and and he did he basically through the media created an entire a war yeah Um, and he he would destroy anybody he didn't like. He was, oh boy, and apparently the uh, portrayal of him in Citizen Kane is uncomfortably on target. 
Well, even just that, he just gives that Tywin Lannister look. Like, he doesn't say anything in the, that big scene at the end where Mank is going off crazy and, quite honestly, inventing what will eventually be the plot for Citizen Kane as compared to a Don Quixote story, which itself is really cool. But there he is. Tywin is just given that look like, yeah, it's a nice day for a blood wedding. I know he, <laughs> I know he wasn't at the blood wedding, but yeah, yeah. it's still like just... Yeah, I I wonder if, the guy's probably really really nice and just had because I found that with like the woman who played um uh who was the the woman in Harry Potter who came in with all the rules and the cats and the oh uh, the oh god fin- yeah you know what I'm talking about she made all <laughs> I, the rules damn it she was yes. just this horrible horrible person I saw her on this show this other British show she's the nicest most oh, she's pleasant adorable she's, she's so nice and I bet this guy too he's just like oh would you like some tea uh, I've, I've got I have no idea what Charles Dance is like but I, I'm guessing he's not at all like that but he his performance is terrific yeah and so, I think everybody I love the guy playing that was supposed to be John Hausman you know like the paper chase guy yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, he was way too nice. Um, <laughs> well, uh, talking about Hearst real quick, I promised this last week, and I don't want to forget yeah. it. So uh, I have actually met William Randolph Hearst III a mm. number of times. How did that happen? You won't believe it. He used to come into the comic book store. I don't believe it. <laughs> no. And I wouldn't know who he was, but of course he paid with a credit card. And there it was. I don't think there's probably too many people named William Randolph Hearst III. Um he would come in nope. and he would hang out for a long time just reading comics. And he used to come in early in the morning and he he sh- he showed up probably three or four times. And once I, you know, I saw his credit card, he would walk in and I would greet him by name. He was nice. I would say, Oh, how are you doing, Mr. Hurst? And it's like, Good, oh, how good, how are you doing? And then You didn't address go, him as Mr. Hurst the third? Well, no, just Mr. Hurst. <laughs> but there was one very potentially embarrassing moment. I at uh, the owner of the store uh, Tony had a TV, which was only supposed to be used for when he was watching baseball games or basketball or whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. We weren't supposed to really have it on while we were open. Well, spoiler, mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. And one of the shows I liked to watch that was on in the mornings when we were open was the Dick Van Dyke show. Well, there's a certain episode of that show which isn't really connected to Randolph Hearst, but it kind of is. It's an episode where Richie's trying to find out what his middle name is and he wonders why his middle name is in fact Rosebud. (laughs) Oh. And that was on one day when Mr. Randolph Hearst III came in and I was just sitting there cringing. He never seemed to notice, but I was just like, oh my God, why did it have to be this episode? Yeah, so my run-ins with William Randolph (sighs) Hearst III. Cool. Nice guy. That's all I can say. Don't know anything about him other than that. Didn't try to destroy you? That's cool. No. And hopefully yeah. this will assuage some of the attempts he might... Th- I don't even know if he's still alive. Who knows? But uh, uh, I gotta say, I really like the way this movie is shot. I like the, o- the, o- the opening credits, which are done in the old-timey 30s and 40s credits font, even the way they're angled in the yep. picture. I thought that looked great. And when they do the... Uh, the movie is uh, non-chronological. It uh, jumps back and forth between the quote-unquote present day of about, uh, what was it, 1940? Yep. Yeah, 1940, and about 1932 to 1934. And when they switch, you get actual word... It goes up to 37. 37, excuse me. When they switch between, when they do the flashback, you see, like, the credits in a a screenplay. You know, interior, horse, so-and-so's office, flat, you know, 1932, in parenthesis, flashback. And I really appreciated that, because otherwise, because... (sighs) 
So this is the problem again with Gary Oldman in this part. I love Gary Oldman. I think he does a great job. I don't believe for an instance. When I find out at the end that he was 43, I'm like, what? Because <laughs> he... The only thing I could, the only way I could see it is, you know, he prematurely aged because of all the drinking. Yeah. Because he really drank, Mankiewicz really drank a lot. And apparently all that stuff he, he drank, he was also a, a, not just a compulsive gambler, but a dumb gambler, a bad gambler. He lost a lot of money on really stupid bets, betting on coin flips when a leaf would hit the ground, betting on the on an election when it was almost over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that well, that part wasn't true, by the way. That whole that whole thing of him being obsessed with Upton Sinclair running for governor uh, that they made up. He did, didn't particularly care. He was actually fairly conservative politically. Oh, how but, bizarre! Because that's a major part of the film. Yeah, no, he he didn't that, that wasn't wasn't interested in that at all. He barely barely followed um, it. Yeah, but it's a major point. Upton Sinclair, who by, is a very famous writer, ran for governor of California in '34. Uh, and got pretty well stomped, largely because, well, well he was up against uh, a Republican, and he was, the Republican was backed by William Randolph Hearst and by the studios who put out these, this is true, by the way, they did put out these fake newsreels. Of, <sighs> that uh, would never happen again. Oh, certainly <laughs> not. No, no. Yeah. Upton Sinclair, I didn't, even, I didn't know he ran for governor. I only knew him as I the knew. guy who wrote uh, The Jungle. He was like the first muckraker. Hmm. And he, he was Wait, very. Hmm? Upton Sinclair was the first muckraker, or was that William Randolph Hearst? Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, he <laughs> well, was the one who. No, that was actually they coined the term about him, about oh. muckraker, because of Upton Sinclair. Either that or no. Joe Pulitzer, but you'd have to yeah. see newsies to really understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'm carrying the banner. Uh, <laughs> it's a fine life. Uh, there was there was a very weird little addition to this film. I don't know if you noticed it or not. The technical term, or at least the jargon for them, is cigarette burns. Did you notice them? Uh, no, I don't think I did. So this we don't we haven't seen these in a theater for decades, and the reason is that. They no longer have multiple reels for oh, films. Oh, is that the little circle in the upper right? Yes. Or upper left? Yeah. They had them in this film. Oh, I didn't even notice. I did, and I'm like, why do you have those? So, for those who don't know, the films you've seen for the last 30 years are all on this thing called a platter system. The whole film is on one giant platter. It runs through all, then they rewind it, everything's done. In the old days, up through like the 70s or even into the 80s, Films were shipped on multiple reels, and what would happen is, as you got towards the end of the reel, there's two projectors back there, and a proper projectionist has to get the timing right. So you'd see this little thing in the upper right-hand corner. There's two of them. The first one is sort of a solid circle, which looks kind of like a, a cigarette burn. That's telling you, hey, get ready. And then the next one is a ring, and the ring is when you're supposed to switch from one projector to the other. I have no... I guess it's to make it feel like an old-timey movie, but I was like, uh, why are those there? That's yeah, weird. Yeah, considering that's all sh it's all on a hard drive now. Yeah. It's like, I would be willing to bet the whole film was shot digitally. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. But sure. it was just like, uh, huh? Okay. <laughs> the thing was shot in 8K. I don't think you can do that with film. No. But, yeah. <laughs> you hold it up to the light. Uh, <laughs> so, this feels very Hollywood. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, but well, I, it is. It's about Hollywood. But the film feels very Hollywood, mm -hmm. and by that I mean manufactured. And what I'm finding out from you that the whole politics thing wasn't even true, that's... 
I mean, that that really colors the character because it's a major part. That's sort of, we're given the idea that that's a major part of why he writes Citizen Kane in the first place. Right? And, you know, mm-hmm. supposedly, I mean, everybody knew it was Hearst, even though it wasn't Hearst. His name is Kane, not Hearst. But everybody knew. He didn't like the he didn't like the fact that uh, Hearst interfered in politics. He was, he, but also, <laughs> Mankiewicz was a massive cynic. He yeah. wasn't surprised by any of this. The person he really didn't like was Louis B. Meyer. <laughs> his, I, I love his line. This is an actual quote from Mankiewicz. Then they asked, you know, what did you, what do you think of Louis B. Meyer? That if I ever go to the electric chair, I'd like him to be sitting on my lap. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. He he felt and a little caricaturist to me, but he's also not well a lot. L. B. Really. Mayer, first off, was very larger than life. He was very loud. He was one of that, and I can say this: those old Jew movie movie studio runners. <laughs> I we, can't say you know, that. him and Jack Warner and Samuel Goldwyn. L. B. Mayer was probably the loudest. He was also, from what I've read, what I've heard, a solid twenty-four carat bastard. Mm. He was a not, he was a really not a nice person at all, and he was incredibly chintzy, and he he did in fact you know make it he made all the people go on half salary during the depression. He did not, by the way, and he did not return as he said he, he paid them back for it. He never did. He didn't. And, yeah, and it got even worse a few years later in the McCarthy hearings, where basically he, him and Jack Warner they just rolled over for the House on American Activities Committee. Yeah. Let's not get into it. He it was probably funded. He was a schmuck. He yeah. was, I he just, was one of those people, in, uh, you know, when they're part of your sort of your either ethnic or cultural group, you just wish they weren't. It's just like, oh God, why did he have to be Jewish? You know, I feel that way like about Roy Cohn. Well, why? I just don't want him to be. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was saying it was it was Hollywoodish. The film feels Hollywoodish. It actually reminded me of another film about semi-old Hollywood um, told in black and white very much the same way. I don't know if you got this vibe or not, but it actually felt a little Tim Burton-ish. It felt a little like Ed Wood. Oh, I didn't get that at all. It it's, didn't have that cartoonish feel. Parts of it to me did. Parts of huh. it, I mean, we have to believe that there were people at one time in ancient history that could actually put together sentences like that, because there certainly aren't any people like that around now. <laughs> Um, at least I don't know of any. But the byplay, the timing, the ability to be so whip-crap smart um, and and erudite, using that word, overusing that word. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons is eventually people just stopped wanting to lose to Mank in any kind of verbal exchange, I'm sure, is part of it. And also... He wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mankiewicz was incredibly smart. His brother, by the way, they'd say, was smarter. Joe was way shrewder. He was also much more of a political animal. He knew what to do. And apparently 40 years younger. Oops! Yeah, yeah, I gotta say, his uh, brother looks a heck of a lot younger than him. Yeah, well, every, his wife does, everybody. And it's so weird, because I'm sitting there, you know, in awe of his performance. It's literally just visually... I don't buy it. Otherwise, it is another great Gary Oldman performance. I've yet yeah. to see a bad one. I, I liked him in Fifth Element, which is, I'm sure, a film he'd like to forget. I even <laughs> like him as the Peacock. I don't care. Um, oh, he's great. He's great in Kung Fu Panda, too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I also, I want to talk about uh, um, 
Amanda Seyfried as as Marion Davies. I thought she was terrific. She was great. And I love I like the byplay between the two of them. It's so sweet and yet it's so there's nothing romantic about it. And apparently no. there was not. Even though in reality they were much closer in age. But they were just pals. They liked they genuinely liked each other even though they neither one really understood the other. Mm. And well, Amanda Seyfried just comes across as very likable. This is the second time I've seen Marion Davies portrayed on film. The other, and she's always just very likable in both. The other was in this movie, not a lot of people saw it, I think called The Cat's Meow. No. Which is again about William Randolph Hearst and Marion Davies. And she's played by Kirsten Dunst in that. Oh. Hmm, interesting. And, um, well, real quick, what's your favorite scene with her? I like when they're walking through the zoo. Yeah. At, uh, at at San Simeon or Xanadu or whatever it is. <laughs> Xanadu. And I did. I I like her. You know, yelling at the monkeys and <laughs> he's making puns about the giraffes. And I just think that's really sweet. And sometimes he's hold, he's carrying her shoes for her or she's holding his hand. And it's just in that in that there's just you can you believe there's real non sexual chemistry between them. My favorite scene is when she. Some sort of party, and she's like, "Oh, you remember? That's the time when you were talking to the president and laying out the cabinet for him." Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And she's and like, ever- "I oh. don't know what I'm talking about." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, I bet that really happened." Okay. Yeah, depending who you believe, their relationship because William Randolph Hearst was approximately 340 years older than Marion Davies. Yeah. They claim, and she always claimed, that she actually loved him, that mm-hmm. they had a, a real connection. Who knows? You know, nobody was ever going to say otherwise. They were too afraid of him. And she claimed that, she, you know, she really cared about him. And what's her nickname I, I for him? Pops. Yeah, Pops. <laughs> hey, at least she had no illusions. Yeah. Uh, we got to get to our questions, because uh, we got to oh, get yeah. through those. I have a couple extra ones, too, if we have time. But um, sure. real quick, the German village thing. So at one point, it stated oh, yeah. that Mankiewicz actually brought over an entire German village from Germany just before uh, things got really dicey. Do you know if that was true? It's not exactly. It's close. He didn't bring over, like, an entire village, but he did support bringing over a lot of German re- uh, Jewish refugees. Okay. He just, like, he gave to the charities. He actually gave money to the uh, to the refugees himself. Now, supposedly, yeah, he did. He helped a lot, but he didn't, like, it, it's a bit of an exaggeration to say that he grabbed an entire, he saved an entire village, but probably several hundred people. Yeah, yeah, he saved all of Krankenheim. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, questions. Yeah. What do we know about Mank from this movie? Max, what do we know about him? I can sum it up in two well, words. Uh, well, I uh, think he may have liked his liquor. Yes, my, my sum up was Mank drank. Drank. <laughs> <laughs> we eat. Um, uh, yeah, basically, uh, I think we learned that he was a very, in some ways, self-destructive man. Yeah. Because it's not just that he drinks a lot, and it's not just that he gambles, but he has no internal censor. No. And Mar- Marion Davies says that you just say whatever comes into your head. And it gets him in a lot of trouble with incredibly powerful people. And he doesn't have to, because he's just wants... You get the feeling some of it isn't just because he, he wants it to be true. He wants everyone to know he's right. Yeah. And it, it makes no difference. Well, it's I think really kind of sad. 
he's surrounded by people that, quite honestly, are not his intellectual equals. Never mind, you know, better than him. Um, it's sad to find out that his brother Joe is smarter. Maybe that's the only indication we get that he's smarter is Joe doesn't say very much. Uh, um, well, but, Joe gets, you know, Joe, as he talks about, he gets fired because he ma- he explained he made an intellectual pun and yeah, it made the other French. people feel stupid. Yeah. Um, I we we know yeah, Mank drank. Uh, yeah. We know that he was an incredibly skillful skill a screenwriter. Um, we know that he took what was basically a story approach that no one was going to watch and made it something that people wanted to watch. Now, to be fair, I believe the initial release of Citizen Kane was not particularly profitable. I think it's one of those films that did well over a long period of time. Of course, for a long time, it was called The Greatest film ever made which we if we have time we can talk about um we don't know anything about his early life um we don't really know a lot about his career except for this this is like this is it like he peaks and then they tell us at the end that was it and after that he basically slid for 11 years into a deepening pool of scotch (laughs) Um, yeah died at age 55 from kidney failure brought on by acute alcohol abuse yeah yeah um, how, now, you answered this for me. Uh, how accurate was the depiction? Some of it is, some of it isn't. Um, he didn't, he was, they, well, one of the plot points they bring in is he didn't want to join the actors, the uh, Writers Guild. Uh, he was really anti-union. Interesting. He didn't believe in them at all. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, a lot of the rest, yeah, there was some that was, some that wasn't, and a lot of it was over, was dramatized more than it was, but a lot of it is pretty solid. Hmm. Just not anything to do with the yeah. politics, apparently it wasn't. Not not so much. But then, in terms of the blessing of the Mankiewicz family, at the end, when uh, they're announcing the winner for Best Screenplay at the Oscars, <laughs> the guy reading that is Herman Mankiewicz's grandson. Oh, interesting. I thought it was cool that they don't show the acceptance speech, quote-unquote, by Orson Welles. They don't show it. But I'm willing to bet that was the actual Orson that Welles. That is. That's the okay. actual recording of Orson Welles telling Mankiewicz to kiss his ass. His hat. His hat. His, oh, his hat. Excuse <laughs> me. You, we know what he meant. And well, I like a... Mankiewicz's you know, response, which was, uh, I, I, you know, this word is accepted in the same, the same way that the, fil- the screenplay was written with the absence of Orson Welles. Yeah. And he always maintained he wrote the whole thing. Welles says otherwise. Pauline Kael, the film critic, said that um, Mankiewicz really wrote the whole thing. People have argued that for years. I think that's been disproved. I think uh, Wells did do a lot in the rewrites, but I'm not sure. Well, and here's the thing. Why did Wells not want Mank to get credit? Because it would look bad for him? I don't know. Uh, alleg- well, again, I can't say for sure, but uh, it's generally accepted because, well... You know that large car that uh, Wells drives up in? Mm-hmm. It was he would have needed a moving van behind it to carry his ego. Oh, yes, that's what that smell was. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He he really loved being. He wanted it. That's why he always wanted carte blanche. He's uh, he wanted his name on everything. He wanted he wanted it stuff to be his creation. And the guy was a genius. Although I got to tell you. You know, at, at 24, that wasn't his first movie. His, I believe his first movie was the Met, or the successful one was The Magnificent Ambersons. Oh, boy. And yeah, apparently like, they're working on a documentary about that because that was... No, the, I think The Magnificent Ambersons came after because the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because they ripped it apart. 
Like they changed the ending. They basically he went on vacation, and while he was gone, oh. they edited it. And supposedly, there's actually a documentary being made about people still looking. Supposedly, an original cut of that film exists oh. somewhere in South America. At least they're hoping <laughs> so, because that's where he was on vacation. And supposedly, there was an uncut version there. Uh, and have you ever seen it? I have not seen it, but Wells apparently kept saying, look, I'll edit it when I get back. Just, you know, calm down. And the studio was like, yeah, we're not going to let him do this. And they cut it to shreds. They ch- Apparently what was a not happy ending became a happy ending. Um, all that stuff. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. And I remember thinking, this is what they're making such a big deal out of? I honestly thought it was kind of boring. Yeah. And it's very uh, choppy. And I be- it makes perfect sense now that it was edited by someone else and done badly. Yeah, Touch of Evil is supposed to be an amazing film. I haven't seen Touch that. of Evil, that came later. But yeah. you, you can tell because he has started to, shall we say, sample the wine before it's time. <laughs> uh, and that's that's an amazing movie. It, yeah. It's not fun to watch, but it's really good. My favorite performance of Orson Welles is actually in a film he did not direct. Uh, it's a film called The Third Man. Um, and he's got oh, a very small yes. part, but he's great in it. Um, uh, real quick, before we... we uh, I have one more yep. question, if you don't mind. Yep. Citizen Kane, you've seen it. Yes. Do you consider it the greatest film, or even the greatest American film ever made still? Assuming it was Uh, once. Oh boy. Certainly up to its point, up to the... I think it's certainly in the top ten. I think it is an amazing movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I'd have to see it again to compare it to some of the ones that have come since, but uh, I think it's certainly a contender for the best. The thing was not just revolutionary, but it's brilliant. How would you pair it up against uh, The Godfather, for example? Very different kind of movie. Tighter. Yeah. More elegant. More artistically shot. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's close. I mean, to be fair, you know, uh, Coppola had 30 years of experience. Not He didn't have it, but the film industry had 30 years of experience and stuff to bestow on a newer director. So it's like, yeah. those superlatives never make sense to me. Greatest, best, whatever. It's like, yeah. in your opinion. Yeah, but- I mean, I would have to say it's certainly not the, gr- the greatest comedy. <laughs> it's, it's one of the greatest musicals ever made, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a couple of songs in it. Mr. Hurst, 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 he came in first, 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 never mind. Almost. There, there's a song praising him, and uh, we do Kane. hear... Yeah, that's right. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not sure. Mm. I, I, that's something to consider. You got any other notes you want to get to before we wrap this up? Nope, I, I think we've covered it all. Then we should stop now. Yes. The Roundup. And start now, Max. Yeah, yeah. You had not seen Mank before this show, or had I you? had not. I had never seen it. And I this knew is a very Netflix little about original, it. isn't it? I believe it. Well, no, because it uh, was it, released in the theaters. It was it, released. It, 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 it was produced by Netflix. <clears throat> so okay. <just> yes. <clears throat> yes. Yes, Mike. It was a Netflix original. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always listen as producer. No, I actually always forget that uh, Netflix actually makes movies that show in the theaters now. <laughs> uh, but obviously, just for Oscar time. Cause yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think? Uh, well, first off, I have... I'm going in... That, that movie has a real advantage. I love movies about old Hollywood. Yeah. Even even ones that are more silly, things like uh, Hail Caesar. I mean, I and I always have kind of a mixed feelings because I love the magic of old Hollywood and I also really like to see and really hate to see what went on behind the scenes because it's often so unpleasant and tawdry 
and petty, just like, you know, everything else in the world. <laughs> but I like it. I I don't know about Masterpiece or anything. I, I don't think it's it's up there with Citizen Kane, certainly. Uh, it's kind of choppy. Gary Oldman, you're right, looks too old. He is too old, man, to do this. <laughs> Although, again, his performance is friggin' brilliant. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really, I, I think it's really well done. I think it's beautiful to look at. I think the uh, the use of black and white. I don't think it's just being gimmicky like a lot of them are. It's not just trying to be atsy. Uh, I think it works, and it's clearly being done as a tribute to the films of the time and to that era. Um, that said, I think it's some t- it felt a little long at times. I think it could have been tightened up. And there are a couple of, well, I like a lot of the performances. I'm just not a big fan of Lily Collins, who played, you know, English Lady. Oh. Uh, I thought she was kind of stiff and didn't make a lot of sense. The way she sort of gets warm, and you know, the way she warms up to Mank, I don't see why. We don't really get an idea of that. Um, I would have liked to see more of his wife. I thought Sarah looked like a really interesting character. Poor Sarah. <laughs> what about you? What do you think? Uh, I think it was uneven as well. Uh, again, Gary Oldman, brilliant. I love Gary Oldman. Does feel too old, but his voice, his manner, he's never the same person. And I don't know how he does it. I mean, I've seen tons of actors, and I can you know see them playing... Uh, Harrison Ford plays Harrison Ford. And it's fine, because we like Harrison Ford. That's what we sure. want. Yep. Um, and then you'll see some people who are a little better. Uh, you know, people like um, Christian Bale mm-hmm. can do the same thing. It's like... But even his, some of his vocal mannerisms and his facial expressions carry over from one character to another. Not a lot of them. And he's a really good actor. Gary Oldman, I swear, is just a different person in a Gary Oldman suit. (laughs) Like, I don't know how he does it. I love him. He does visually look too old for the part. Um, And that being said, I kind of don't care. Because he's carrying off this type of person that doesn't exist anymore why because we don't trust smart people that's why mm. uh, we're in the dark ages if you didn't know that we are um some stuff felt a little caricature to me um and then it's like it's light and fluffy and then it gets kind of serious i enjoyed the film uh i don't i i would probably put it in the b range somewhere um it's a little better than a rick springfield video i'll give you that <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly better than aliens is yeah uh, yeah, and, oh, know, some of the stuff they do throw in is a little like the uh, the director Sheldon, the guy who uh, creates the fake newsreel and kills himself. Yeah, spoiler. Uh, that guy was fictional. He the director, See, the guy who created, was a guy named Felix Weiss Jr. and he felt bad but didn't shoot himself. So it's kind of almost like they are making a biopic about Mank. In the same way that Mank made a biopic about William Randolph Hearst, it's a slightly yeah. I think it's a slightly exaggerated, fictionalized version of it, but uh, some of it is pretty pretty dead on. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a it's a Hollywood version, and it's also it suffers from a little syndrome that a lot of these movies do. A lot of stuff in Hollywood, when he's talking to Sheldon about how the awesome power of Hollywood and how it not only reflects but shapes opinion, it's like really. <laughs> wow, you're really. Uh, this is another one of those. Is it? Aren't movies powerful? Yeah, and that's I think one of the reasons it got so many awards is the Academy loves movies about movies, mm. and it loves movies about how important movies are and the power 
Let's face it, writers love to write about how powerful writers are. I think it's fair to say that there was some slurping that you could hear in the background here and there. Yeah, it's on Netflix, so if you've got a Netflix yeah. account and you're looking for a film about old Hollywood, sure, why yeah. not? If you want yeah, to see I another great Gary Oldman performance, by all means. I'm sorry, who was the actor who played Marion Davies? Uh, that was Amanda Seyfried. She's terrific. She is terrific. I like the character, too. I don't know how, again, how close it is to her, but I like her in this film. Um, so, sure. It's a couple hours. Why not? Yeah. So, now poll we question. come to business. Yeah. And don't forget to so, reiterate that poll question. I will, in fact, reiterate the poll question even as I speak. Because Bumpy Hut catalog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, so some, again, sometimes a movie series recasts a major character for whatever reason. An actor leaves, an actor dies, an actor becomes too difficult to work with. Not counting the James Bond movies. When has that really worked well for you, and when has it worked not at all? I mean, I personally didn't like it when they replaced Daniel Radcliffe with Michael Sarah in the Harry Potter films, but whatever. Oh, I thought that kind of worked. You know. <laughs> He's just so moist. It's just... <laughs> I don't know, Voldemort, why? Why are you trying to kill me, Voldemort? <laughs> your hand, they can't see this, but your hand gestures look like it's Pat. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, please answer our poll question. How would they do that, Max? Why, they could email us at Ooh. us at maxmikemovies.com, or they could go to our fabulous website to browse the, the Bumpy Hut catalog at <laughs> maxmikemovies.com. It has a complete back catalog of us, and leave us a comment. Uh, with your with your response, you can also find us and respond to us on uh, social media on Facebook or Twitter under Max Mike Movies. Uh, you can find us. I don't think you can really respond to us via podcasting apps, but uh, that's how you can listen to us. So uh, that's how. Ooh. Or you can call Mike at home. Here's his phone number: five five five. Yeah. And uh, so, what what fabulous biopic do we have coming up next week? You know, we've been doing this biopic thing for a while, and I think I just need to escape. To escape, you yes. say? So you might find, say an artist uh, of escaping? Well, maybe you could just go ahead and ask me how. I oh, want to. How do you want to escape? Houdini, that's <laughs> how! <laughs> Next, And that's going to cost you 15,000 bumpy bucks. Oh, my stash. My I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful stash. De deducting that from your account now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we're going to go back in time, which is kind of what we did this week, except it was made last year, uh, <laughs> to an early biopic. Uh, actually, the film that made me think about wanting to do this series in the first place. It is Tony Curtis... Or as you might know him, Bernie Schwartz. Bernie Schwartz, yep. As Houdini, the 1953 film, which I checked ahead of time and is rentable from places <laughs> like Amazon Prime or iTunes or whatever, because we've had that problem recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do this movie. Oh, the night before they have to do the show. Um, it's not available anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's really weird? These places don't accept bumpy bucks. We'll have to oh, fix strange. that. Oh, strange. So, next week, escape with us with Houdini. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. 